0: So, uh, hey, this week we're going to get kicked off on a new series called Here as in Heaven. And uh, there's this kind of running joke when you come over to our house, and if you haven't been over to our house, we'll have you over soon. Uh, It's just a lot to try to get a ton of people over uh, at one time. So anyway, uh, it's a kind of a joke when you come to our living room. We've got one of those nice gallery walls over the couch, you know, and it's got all the pictures from years past and there's kind of this running joke in our house, when people come over for the first time, they begin to notice all the different hairstyles I've had throughout the year. So if you've been here for five years, you've seen four or five different hairstyles. And uh, here's the thing, that like, I like it short in the warm months, but I really like it long in the cold months, because it's beanie weather, and long hair looks cooler with a beanie, you know, and... Um, and it's just there's, just, there's a struggle in that though. There, there's a struggle. And do you know what the struggle is though? Like one, you, you, have, to gr- you have to grow it out. And, and the struggle is that you have to go through what? The, you got to go through the ugly stage. The ugly stage is hard. It's hard. Like when you decide you're going to go through the ugly stage, you're pretty much like banking. My girlfriend's not going to break up with me over the next six months. It's not going to be so ugly that she's just got to move on. Thankfully, my girlfriend is still with me. 14 years later. So, um, so, you know, but it's not just our, our hair that, that goes through this ugly stage. It, it, there's not this in-between, weird, awkward stage. Our relationships go through the ugly stage. They do. So my, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you've got some ugly stage in your history of your relationships. Some of y'all shaking your head like, yeah, we're in the ugly stage right now. It is ugly. There's lots of ugly tears happening around my house, you know. So there's the ugly phase stage within our relationships. There's the, I think our church went through an ugly phase at one point, and that's where Pastor Kyle was, was uh, you know, crying ugly tears behind the scenes. And uh, we go through that in our careers. There's an ugly stage, right? Yeah. You're not at the bottom of the totem pole, maybe where you started, where there was no responsibility and no pay to match that responsibility. And then, you, but you're not, you know, CEO maybe yet, um, top of thing, where there's all this responsibility, but there's a nice income to supplement the responsibility. You're, you might be in the ugly stage, lots of responsibility and no pay to, to support it. There's the, the ugly stage. And it's not just in all those areas, it's we as believers, we, we kind of live in, in the... The not the just the ugly phase, but we live in this in between stage that what God has already established, but He's not completely fulfilled. We know in part now, and one day we'll we'll, shall, we'll be fully known. And so, we're going to start a four weeks conversation and and, and teaching out of. Uh, really out of the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Like many of you are familiar with this, even if you didn't grow up in church. I remember at at my football, uh, at the end of football practice, we'd all gather around and huddle up and we'd say the Lord's Prayer together. And it's just like almost a cultural thing to a certain degree, a very religious, you know, that's become a very religious thing. I don't know if you know it, our Father, Matthew 6, and it's right in the middle, it's right in between Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and and what we're going to look at is just this one kind of line or a couple lines here that's right in the middle of that prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, and then many of us will add, for thine is the kingdom, power and glory for ever, ever. Amen. Um, right? That's the that end of the prayer. And so we're going to be looking at this, this idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've probably heard the phrase kingdom of God before, but if I asked you to define it, you'd probably be like, mm, take a little while to process that and really put it into words because it's complex. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than he does anything else. Like this is a theme. This is a big theme for Jesus. He talks about it more than uh, heaven and hell. He talks about it more than money, which everybody's like, he talks about that more than anything. No, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God more than anything. He constantly uses this idea. And in the Old Testament, this actually doesn't show up, this idea of kingdom of God. It doesn't show up at all But the idea of God as king shows up all the time. There's this ongoing story in theology, and this is important as we begin to look into the New Testament and the texts we're going to lean into today to understand more of what this means, Um, because the truth of the matter is that this prayer is that we might live it out. We might establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and we might be a part of that. But to, but to really get there and be able to live that out, we got to know what the kingdom of God is. And if it's, the, it's one of the, the most common phrases and if that Jesus uses, then maybe we want to take a look at this and like really visit this and understand the depth of this. And um, we're going to look at a little definition here um, in just a minute. I guess we can go ahead and go there. So what is the kingdom of God? We need to know what the kingdom of God is. I, I kind of put together my own definition, sent it to a couple friends, and make sure it kind of fit in keeping with the scripture. And this is kind of my definition for the kingdom of God. Jesus will tell all these parables around this. The kingdom, is God, the kingdom of God is like, trying to explain it. So my definition, working definition for it, is The kingdom of God is the present and future reality of God's eternal reign that Jesus fulfilled and will complete in himself while his body, the church, continues to advance his kingdom in which his love, truth, and justice inhabits the earth as it is in heaven, right? That's a big sentence. And so we're not going to take the whole thing today. Everybody said amen. <laughs> we're going to take one piece of it and just kind of dissect where it starts, this first phrase, the present and future reality of God's eternal reign. The present and future reality of God's eternal reign. Like I mentioned, um, there is a, there's a Jewish understanding of this that comes from the Old Testament. God as king it, it, it is... Uh, perpetuated all throughout the Old Testament. Just a couple of scriptures that talk about this right here in Psalm. We see one of them. Psalm 10, 16, the, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Second Chronicles 20 and 6, the Lord, our Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might so that none is able to with there's just this overarching theme from beginning to end that in the beginning God, and he's been king overall. He created everything, and so he's, he's king. And while there's not going to be a definition or a quiz on this big definition next week, the implications for our life today are, are profound and huge, and I think God wants to speak something in here, so I don't want to just do some nice little Bible study and learn what the kingdom of God is. I want us to understand that God is king, and he wants to be king over every moment of every day with us, and, and not just in this, yeah, I'm a part of the kingdom, I'm a body of the Christ. No, no, it, it's the present and future reality, and we are an active part as we begin to look into the New Testament and what Jesus really means by this, And so there's this Jewish understanding that they they already kind of assume and understand God as king. And so the kingdom of God, many times kingdom of heaven is used as well. But that's really only because the, the Jewish people have such a reverence. Hebrew people have such a reverence about the name God. And so many times they won't even pronounce the word God historically. They won't pronounce God. They would say something like heaven, or they would just put a breath. When they would write it, they wouldn't write God. They'd kind of, in our kind of context, they'd put G-D, and they're not saying G-D. They're not wanting to write the whole word out of reverence for Yahweh, king over all, creator, God. It's just complete reverence. And so when we see kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, that's That's why we see both of them meaning the the same thing. Jewish people have an understanding of what this meant. Uh, uh, We've got a couple of this. The Jewish interpretation for the kingdom of God coming and being at hand would have been this, this perspective of this military and political conquest they wanted victory. Like when they wanted a king to come and rule over them, they wanted someone in the model of David, in the Davidic model, like some incredible leader that the people will chant his name and he'll be the Messiah. And Jesus came so differently from that. He did not come to establish a kingdom in that way. In his first sermon, he began to talk about the Beatitudes. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Blessed are the the, the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. N.T. Wright said it like this. To the Jew in the village of the kingdom, uh, in the village, the kingdom of God arriving was about the vindication of Israel, the victory over pagans, and the eventual gift of peace, justice. And prosperity, and Jesus begins his sermon with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So they're expecting prosperity, and he's like, blessed are those that are poor in your spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we see this early in the New Testament. John the Baptist says the exact same thing Jesus begins his sermon with. John the Baptist came saying, uh, and it's this phrase right here that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist said the exact same thing just one chapter later. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just been tempted there in Matthew 4. And he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just um, right there at the beginning of his ministry, again, Mark 1 in his gospel records that Jesus in Galilee at this time and saying pretty much the exact same thing after John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said the kingdom of God has come Near, repent, and believe the good news. So there's this, this calling for repentance and that the kingdom of God has come near or it's at hand is the phrase that, that is used several times in our translation. But the Greek word for at hand or come near is this Greek word engizo, is how it's pronounced, Engizo. And it means to bring near, and this is huge. I don't want you to miss this. The, the, kind of the, the, the real depth of this understanding means to join one thing to another. So Jesus in coming to the earth, it's at hand. Jesus is joining God's eternal reign and bringing it to earth. He's bringing it to, he's joining what God has always, and he's coming to establish it, and Jesus will complete that and fulfill that, not only um, in the present age, as as he begin to look out and tell the disciples the kingdom of God is in your midst, it's here, but there's also this anticipation, this groaning among us as believers, that he will return and, and he'll fully establish his kingdom and his reign on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's important that we begin to ask ourselves, okay, so pastor, cool, cool definition, cool understanding of the Greek meaning that that Jesus really was bringing that God's reign to this earth and Jesus would pass it off to us to establish his truth, justice, and peace on this earth. But but what does that mean for us? It means for us, we're in the in-between. As believers, we live in the in-between ugly stage you know, until he returns. It, it means that um, God's already done a work that he, he still has not yet to fully complete. He's already begun a work, as as uh, Paul said to the church at Philippi, he that began the work in you will be faithful to complete it. You know, and, and it means that we're kind of stuck between the, the, the present and the promise. We're stuck between kind of what God's already done and in our life and what he's still yet to do, and we're kind of in this in-between stage as believers in that the kingdom of God is our hope. It's our hope. It's, what we, it's our hope. It's our mission. It's our fellowship with God. It's this full, full, full expression of where we as believers find ourselves. And, and for Jews, it was their hope. Like the kingdom of God coming to be established was their hope. And for you and I, it's our hope too that God's eternal reign is present, but there's also this future reality in which it'll be established in a a new and fresh way. In in Luke 17, Jesus looks to the Pharisees and the disciples, and he tells them, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It It is here, it is present with us right now. And so how, what does this mean for us? How do we begin to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Pastor, I need you to make this practical for me. It feels like very ethereal kingdom of God. I need to, to get this down. What does this actually mean for me? Well, he, here's what it means. It means that in order for us to live in the kingdom of God and to establish his, earth on, uh, his will on earth as it is in heaven, that means we need to be submitted to the king of the kingdom. We have to be submitted to the King. Of the kingdom. We can't just say, yeah, I'm part of the kingdom of God and not be living in submission to Christ on a daily basis. And not just hoping that what like, we'll be established in his kingdom when he's called us and he's given us mission and purpose to establish his kingdom here today and to spread the good news of the gospel. So there's these daily implications for us to be in submission to God and to walk in obedience. This this word that we have for submission is it's really a military understanding. How many of you guys have served in the military or in the military, you know, right now, active or previous in the military, right? We got a, a couple of you in the house, right? When you're under authority is really the understanding here. You're under authority. It means like you you do what the boss says you do. Like, we're all under authority in some way, shape, or form, and that's this idea of submission. It means to be under authority, to be submitted to it means to be in obedience to. And this is a theme throughout the scriptures, but particularly in the New Testament. This is talked about time, this idea of submission. Some of you might cringe like, when you f- hear that word, submission, because it just kind of brings like this. Maybe it reminds you of the military. Or maybe it reminds you of this authoritative thing. Or, or like when I was a kid, we used to love to wrestle right? And and I couldn't really body slam people, but we wanted to be in WCW back in the day. And so we'd set up all the mattresses and, you know, anybody else do that? Anybody else growing up just whipping somebody and like having wrestling matches? So we'd set all that up. We'd set the whole room up. I remember one time at the church, we were in a room like this size and we got, we brought four mattresses to the church and had like a, like a big Royal Rumble. It was nuts. And so uh, I could never body slam, but my best thing was to get somebody in a submission, right? And I think sometimes. We kind of think it like that, like God's trying to choke us out until we obey, until we submit. And sometimes God does allow some things that break us and get us to a place of submission. But God, God is not like some military commander. Like if Jesus shows us anything, like that's not how his leadership was going to be. That's not he was go- how he was going to establish his kingdom. He was going to establish it in humility and in love And in grace, and the New Testament gives us all these different variety of examples of what submission looks like in our relationships. And and all of us have to, to, to do this, but the first and biggest thing that I want to spend time talking about is our submission to God and our submission to Christ. Look at all these different ways that this shows up in the New Testament. Shows up submission to God, James 4, 7, Ephesians five twenty four. Submission to one another in Ephesians five twenty one. that we as believers are actually submitted to one another. Like we can be obedient to one another and, 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 and lower ourselves to put myself under. I mean, it's kind of what Paul was talking about in Philippians, uh, that I don't count myself better than anybody. I, I make myself a servant at all to be like Christ. And so there's this, this submission for us as believers. Uh, in Ephesians 5.22, the next verse, submit wives to your husbands, that, that God's uh, established uh, order and in, in authority in, in his home, and that men are to be a spiritual leader, and, but not just some dominating leader, but to be as Christ was, and to lead with complete sacrificial life for our wives, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and he died for them, and so we can't complain about taking out the trash, right? So, um, and then we submit to spiritual uh, leaders. We see this in Hebrews and other places in the scripture. We also see submitting to authorities. We, we, we get all this stuff, right? Like, we, we, this is a part of our, our lives. Like, we, we, we're walking in this and exploring what this looks like. And on every single one of these, we could have a whole teaching around every single one of these. What it looks like to submit to political authorities, you know, in, in the culture we're in right now. What does that look like? How do we, how we, how do, we do that in a reverent and God-honoring way? And, and this weekend, we're celebrating um, the, the loss and assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and I just, I was just, I, I watched this video yesterday. and I was just moved and I said, I, wa- I wish I could have watched this man's ministry because he, he was living God's kingdom and, and bringing about this freedom um, for African-Americans and people of color in our nation, I wish I could have been a part to witness his ministry because he embodied bringing God's kingdom on earth and doing it in such a just and, and wise and graceful and powerful, principled way that I just w- I wish I could witness that. But we have his books, and I'm about to read another one of his books um, recently, and so um, or very soon. So I have all these different examples of, of what this looks like in our lives, but I want to spend time talking about Really, what it looks like for us to submit to God and be obedient to Christ in our life, because he's king. he's king overall, and, and there's there's a great multitude of benefits in His kingdom. But in order to to experience and encounter those, then then we, we've got to be submitted. We've got to walk in obedience to God. And so, let's before we talk about what it means to like what true submission is, let's talk about what it's not, because we get this messed up sometimes. Submission is not agreeing on everything, right? Um, It's that that's not what it means. Um, Just, you know, you may disagree with uh, the the tax code, but you're still submissive to political authorities to pay your taxes, right? We may disagree with some of those things, but we're still obedient to the laws of the land. It doesn't mean that we leave our brains at the altar, so to speak. It doesn't mean that we just kind of check out. Um, One of my favorite quotes from one of my mentors was, um, God has not called us to be stupid, and all God's people said amen. <laughs> God hasn't called us to be stupid where we just check our brain at the altar but to constantly be engaging this but never let it, uh, our, our reason, our human reason supersede that of God's wisdom that might bring us outside of our comfort zone when we walk in obedience and submission to him. And it doesn't mean living in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. It, it, it genuinely just drives it out of our lives and so many of us, think about it, in, in our steps of faith and in, in our steps of obedience, sometimes we do it out of fear. Like some of us in the room, like we we came to Jesus out of fear that we might get left behind because we saw some crazy movie or, or book about the rapture. And we're like, "Oh my gosh, I don't want to miss it." Or you know, a, a, an evangelist that said, "If you you get hit by a bus when you walk outside and you were eight years old, like I don't want to die. I want to go to hell," you know. And so we we do it out of fear and. But it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance and so it should never be out of fear that we submit. We walk in obedience. It's God's love that draws us and he is leading us through that. Jesus Christ's life and ministry showed us that. So that's, that's what submission is not. We could talk a few more things but let's leave it there. But true submission is this. True submission is this. It's, first of all, it's motivated by love and trust. It's motivated by love and trust. Um Jesus himself said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself, when he was in his earthly flesh, flesh, fully God, fully human, found himself submitting his will to the Father. And and for for many of us, if you're having trouble submitting in, say, a, a certain area of your life, God's plan for marriage, God's plan for finance, God's plan for your life, your career path, for you, like you fill in the blank, like whatever the area is that, man, I'm I'm struggling, submitting, being obedient to Christ. I know this is what he's calling me to. I just call you to evaluate these two things. Am I being motivated by love and trust in God? And those are probably the things that are missing for me to cross from a place of disobedience to obedience. And, and, and we're missing out on, on so much um, when, we don't, and, and when we don't see his love and, and our trust in God being, uh, being the driving force for our obedience and for our submission. Uh, secondly, it makes us more like Christ. He submitted himself. It makes us more like Christ. Uh, God's The scripture, our, our life for us, and as he leads us and instructs us in his word and through his word among his people... Um, it's so that we look more like Christ, that we we might walk in the, the fulfillment to be his hands and to be his feet, to be his body. That's his cry for us. That's his call for us, is that we would be holy as he is holy. Like we see this from Leviticus all the way into the New Testament, this call that you and I, we see it in Genesis 1 that we are the image of God. We are image bearers of God. But we walk through this ugly phase, and God is transforming us and shaping us. He's tr- transforming and shaping us to look more like Christ. And I, I, I'll tell you, on this side of, of eternity, there's only so much that we'll be able to. That God will will have time to to purify, you know, purify and and um, you know, make holy on this side of eternity. At the end of the day, we will still be flesh, living in the Spirit, living by the Spirit. And so there's always gonna be this brokenness. A thousand times I fail, but still you remain, as, as we sang earlier. There, there is this sense that that's never gonna be completely, you know, flawless until eternity. But it makes us more like Christ. It also allows us to walk in God's will. I used to make God's will so... Difficult. I did. It's like always trying to figure it out, always in my human nature, in my brain. But when I genuinely got to a place of surrender and submission, not just for my salvation, but with my whole life, right? And I think sometimes we can confuse those, and there's some kind of micro conversations here. But I can surrender my heart, my salvation, and believe in the blood of Jesus, but on a daily basis, i 'm not able to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven i'm i 'm a part of the body of Christ, but i 'm not actively involved in carrying his kingdom forward. Does that make sense And, and we miss out on God's will, and I used to make it so, so complicated and like, well, if, if I figure this out and I do this and I, and I just have this great, elaborate plan, and it was actually through encouraging a friend of mine that God dropped this word in my heart to share with him. And it's just been a theme for me ever since when it comes to discerning the will of God. To the person who walks in disobedience, the will of God is like finding a needle in a haystack. If you're walking into disobedience, like good luck trying to find the will of God, you're not going to find it. But to those who walk in obedience, it's as vast as the ocean like, when I am in obedience, like, I can't miss it. Like, all I gotta do is just worry about being in obedience to Christ, and, like, I'm not gonna miss whether I should take this job or not. Like, God's, gonna, when I'm in obedience, and I believe that's what God's doing, and now we'll have to answer for those times, like, yeah, God's telling me to break up with you. You know, everybody overdo do this? Like, God told me to break up with you. And it just feels like a good out. Like, what are you gonna say? You know, and that really, God you know, gave us in the Ten Commandments, don't use his name in vain. That's really what that means. Don't be throwing God's stamp of approval on stuff he has nothing to do with. And all across our society, based on our feelings and, and what we don't want to do or want to do, we're throwing God's stamp of approval on stuff that he has nothing to do with. And so let's let's don't do that, but we we can walk in his will confidently when we're walking in obedience. And so some of our anxiety that we experience, some of our our struggle and stress is just because we're not in obedience. And and when we get in obedience and we get in surrender, like some of that stuff just begins to fade because there's confidence in obedience. It It just does something inside of you. It's like, Things I used to get stressed about, I don't anymore because I'm I'm being faithful. What people used to say about me used to get me a little bit more. But I'm being faithful, and I know that. And and, and the insecurity bubbles up when I know I'm kind of like trying to do both, you know, and trying to manipulate God's will and use it for my own. So that was a lot longer than I wanted to do on that. But um, it allows us to experience God in the supernatural. It really does. Going back to Go back to that very beginning of that scripture in Matthew, Lord's Prayer. Um, Matthew 6 and 9-10 here. Um, our, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I, I've always read this scripture a little bit different than most. I, I've just always looked at it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, or give us this This day is actually, I believe, what the translation should render. Today, as it is in uh, give, give our daily bread. And I've always interpreted that. I've always connected that to, like, what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 4 when he told his disciples, I have food you know nothing about. I- I'm filled by doing the will of the Father, and so... For some of us in the room in which we're kind of searching and longing and trying to find out that food, that sustenance that's going to satisfy, fill in the blank, our addiction or, or our need to have somebody right beside us or our, our insecurity that's going to fill all that, it's just begin to connect us. Like, our, there is sustenance. And this prayer to me, I've always looked at it, God, give us that day. Give us the day of your kingdom as my daily bread. Like, my heart is to live for your kingdom. And so you can disagree with how I render that, but that's just how God's always spoken to me based on how I see it in John 4 and how Jesus speaks about bread and food and sustenance, that we are filled and supplied with everything we need when we are walking in obedience to him. And So we live in this this kind of ugly phase, if you will, this in-between stage in in which our path forward to, to living out his will on earth as it is in heaven is through a radical obedience, I would even say. I mean, begin to look in the New Testament. I remember hearing Francis Chan talk about this, and he said, I just want my life to look like it fits in the book of Acts. Amen. I, I, I don't want mine to be one that I would just, just flip past, but where it would be like, whoa. Like these fishermen were literally on the side of the road, and Jesus said, come follow, and they like quit their job and like walked out. And uh, most of the time, when we're discerning God's will and obedience, like we do it based off of our comfort, is how far we'll o- obey. And, and God builds that trust, and that faith has grown over time in order to make to radical obedience. But I, God wants us to be participators in His kingdom, not spectators in His kingdom or of His kingdom. It's a, not Luke 17. He said, "It's in your midst." It's, it's basically said, "It's within you." It's. It's inside of you. It's it's you walking out this obedience and surrender to Christ. And so I don't know where you're at today, but I think God is doing something in our hearts. And I think for all of us, there is maybe an area of rebellion, um, subtle or not so subtle rebellion, in which we we haven't addressed, in which we haven't surrendered to. Um, because I played that game for a long time, I did. I look super surrendered. I, I said the right things. I did the right things. Um, but there is all this subtle rebellion in me. Um, and that's some of the most dangerous stuff going on inside of us. We clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's a mess. And God wants to, to bring us into a place of total surrender that we might bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through radical obedience to join one thing to another.